So glad you're here this morning. Continue our series in the, mask, the Masquerade series. I think a lot of us at times can realize and even admit that it's not just one mask that we're wearing. If we're honest, we have several masks that we're wearing. I know for me and myself that I like to come across to someone who has it all together. I think most of us are that way. Like we have things all together that everything is good, we want you to like us, everything is fine. And at times, when we keep that mask on for so long, it is violently ripped off. Let me give you an example of that. My grandmother is very special to me, Molly Rice. Now that's the name of my daughter. And my grandmother, Molly Bet Rice, was 87 years old and I went to her farmhouse. Now her farmhouse had 127 acres. A couple of things about her farmhouse. It's farmhouse, so you have a lot of bugs. You have ladybugs that sometimes venture in. You have flies, you sometimes have crickets, and even sometimes you have the dreaded camel cricket. Yes, the camel cricket. Anybody know what a camel cricket is? Yes, that's what a camel cricket is. Let me tell you a little bit about a camel cricket. It can jump and it can fly, and it's made by Satan himself, okay? <laughs> and so, really, I want to be honest with you. I don't really like bugs. I don't really like that kind of stuff, but I, pro- I, I, I will admit that sometimes I give off the impression, like, yes, I will take care of the camel cricket or the bug. I remember a snake a couple of months ago. Andrew opened the door, and a snake came into our house. And everybody's screaming, but I'm the man of the house and I have to take care of it. And I said, give me something. And my wife handed me a broom. The only thing, it was a cow broom. It had black and white spots on it. And I'm beating this, this snake with a cow broom. Well, anyway, let me go back to my, my grandmother's house. We were sitting at her house. We'd come to her house. We were sitting, I was sitting down at the table. We were playing a game of dominoes. It's, it's important that you play dominoes with your grandmother, right? So my granny was sitting right here. And my wife was sitting over here and we had this awesome game of dominoes. At that point, one domino fell on the ground. Well, I stood up to look for the domino because I could not find it. My grandmother in her chair was sitting down and she was looking for the domino going, where did it go, man? I can't find it. You know, in typical granny language, right? And I was over there looking and then all of a sudden the dreaded Satan-made camel cricket leapt on my leg. It lurched on my thigh. At that moment, I had, oh my gosh, get it off of me. Um, I, I did this, ah, and did this, okay? At the same time that my grandmother was bent over and I need, hold the door, my story. <laughs> hold the door, wait for it. At that moment, I need my grandmother square in the head. There you go. She was sitting down and she came up nice and slowly and she went, oh, she said, my head, I see stars. And at that moment, at that moment, this mask that I sometimes portray, even to this very day, the mask of having everything together and being nice and neat and agile, mobile, and docile, docile as I think I am, all of a sudden came to a realization that, Matt, you are hiding behind a mask because in reality, you are a spaz. You are, a, you are clumsy. And I can tell you very clear, very clear that several opportunities where I trip and I fall and I want, you to, I want to admit to you as an elder at your church and as a pastor here, I am incredibly clumsy and I feel so much better that I've told you that now. Amen? Amen. But if we really want to sit down and find out what in the world are we trying to do through the sermon series titled Masquerade, what are we trying to do? 
be real. Just be real. Quit playing games. Quit playing games and just being real. I think really what we want to try to do is understand that all of God did for us, all that he did for us, he did not do what he did for us, die on the cross, give his son freedom from sin. He did not do that for us so that we would play games with each other. He didn't do it. When we do hide behind a mask, then we have a faulty understanding. We'll never be able to understand the gospel. Not only that, we'll never be able to understand the gospel, but not only that, we'll never be able to be the person that God created us to be. We'll never be the man that God created us to be. We'll never be the woman that God created us to be. Sort of, let me demonstrate that for you a little bit. Jake is six years old now. He lost his first tooth yesterday. God bless him. I pulled it. And um, he didn't cry. He didn't cry. But Jake, when he was two, loved to play hide-and-go-seek. Like all two-year-olds like to play hide-and-go-seek, right? So Jake goes to play hide-and-go-seek. Dad, will you play hide-and-go-seek with me? Yes, sir, I sure will, buddy. He said, okay, Dad, you go count over there, and I'm going to hide over here somewhere. And so I said, okay. So I'm going to go over here, and I hide, and I'm like, one, two, three, ready or not, here I come. And all of a sudden, I come into the family room where Jake, well, I would think that he would be hiding behind the couch, behind a chair, something like that. He is balled up in the middle of the floor with his head down like this. Middle of the room. He's balled up in the middle of the room. And so, I, okay, I'm going to play the game with you. Oh, I wonder where Jake is. I wonder where Jake is hiding. And I'm looking around. Oh, here he is. I walk over to him and I go, got you. And he, he looks up at me. And he said, you found me. How did you find me? Let me tell you something right now. When we live lives behind a mask, it's like playing, it's like playing hide and go seek before a holy God with a two-year-old. It's like playing hide and go seek with a two-year-old. Because see, a holy God, you're not hiding anything. It's like you're balled up in the middle of the room going, hey, you don't see this sin. You don't see what I'm doubting with. You don't see what I'm doing. You don't know. And God is saying, I know everything about you. And I love you. In spite of everything I know about you, I desperately, desperately love you. What else do you want me to do to show you how much I love you? Let's take the mask off. That's the purpose of what we're doing here. Let's take the mask off. Let's take the mask off and be real because, listen, let's quit playing hide-and-go-seek with God. It's like we're a two-year-old playing hide-and-go-seek with him. And listen, it's time to take the mask off. This morning, what I want to do with you is I want to talk to you about hiding behind a mask, of having things all, t- all together, because that's really the, the mask we wear. But the mask that we're hiding behind is a mask of doubt. I mean, we have so much doubt, maybe in our life, that we just can't understand who God is, what God wants us to do. We don't trust him. Maybe we don't believe in him. Maybe we prayed for something and he didn't deliver the way you thought he should deliver. Doubt is paramount in the church and even outside the church. It's defined as this. Doubt means to question, waver, hesitate. In the noun form, it means uncertainty or confusion. And I believe, like I said, it's prevalent in the church. I wish today, honestly, that I could come here today and make a list for you of things that you can do that will prevent you from doubting. Here's what I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna give you a list. I can't give you a list 
because you type A personality people in here will say, yes, I doubt, I'm type A. If I just follow this list, then I'm gonna be free from all kinds of doubt. You see, what happens is we have an intersection of biblical faith in a fallen world. And as a result of living out biblical faith in a fallen world, we are going to question, we are going to struggle, we are not going to understand everything there is to know about what's going on in life. And so in essence, we doubt. We have questions. And I think a lot of us do. I think if we take a look at the Bible, we take a look at the Bible and we see, well, where did the doubt come from? Well, Satan himself Use doubt to trip Eve up. We're all familiar with that story. The last two weeks, we've been sort of unpacking Genesis chapter three, verse one. So let's take a look at that verse, Genesis three, verse one. What does it say? We know that in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, I I believe it says that they were naked and unashamed, meaning that their relationship with God was unhindered, it was uninterrupted, our worship was pure, our worship was uninterrupted, and everything was good. In Genesis chapter three, everything changed. How did it change? Here is Satan, the crafty one, as he's talked about in the, in the text. Verse one, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? You see, the serpent Satan tempted Eve by getting her to doubt God's goodness. He let her see that God was, that that he was strict, he was stingy, and he was selfish. And a lot of times what happens is, is that what Satan tries us to do is to focus on what we don't have as to focus on what we do have. And when we focus on what we don't have, we question, why don't I have it? God, you're not good enough. God, you're not providing for me. God, you're not. God, you're not. God, you're not. In our house, we have this statement. Be grateful for what you have, not for what you don't. Because here's what happens. My kids will go to somebody else's house. Maybe they'll go to your house. And they'll go over there and they'll think, man, that's the best Nerf gun I've ever seen in my life. I want that Nerf gun. And they'll say, I want that. They'll come back and say, dad, I really need this. And so what we'll talk about is we'll focus on what God gives us, not what we don't have. Here's what we do. If we don't understand and focus on what the things that God has done or the promises that he's given us, then at the end of the day, we have a tendency to question whether or not he's really good enough to take care of us. If we continue on taking a look at a couple of people in the Bible, what I want to do is I want to look at three people in the Bible who were faced with doubt, who were in situations that were just overcome with doubt, and how they responded in the first episode And then later we'll look at another episode in their lives, but all three of them, and see how they responded again. So the first one that we have is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was a pagan moon worshiper in the city of Ur. Abraham was asked by God, called by God, to say, I want you to leave this city, I want you to gather your family, and I want you to get out. I'm gonna bless those who bless you, I'm gonna curse those who curse you, now I want you to go, get out. And so he left, took his family and he left. Later on in his life, we see that he's married to Sarah, or we actually, her original name was Sarai. God changed it to Sarah. We know that God promised them a child. We know that God promised them to give them a son. It's what he did. And let's take a look at how they responded to the promise that God had given to them. Take a look in Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. It's Genesis 17, 15 through 17. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will, look at it, I will bless her. 
And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born of a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And so here they find themselves in a situation, God comes to them, tells them what's going on, and they respond with it by the doubt of laughter. And there's another, another guy, his name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, Jeremiah was a prophet, he was there, prophets speak for God, to God's people. Jeremiah was to speak to God's people, the Israelites, to tell them to repent and follow after God. Well, they ceased doing that. They didn't do that. They didn't follow God. They, they weren't coming back to God. And Jeremiah was unbelievably frustrated. Unbelievably frustrated. I don't say that word right, so I have to make sure I get that, that right. Frustrated. They, they, they get really, up, Jeremiah gets really upset. He even questions why in the world was he born. Take a look at a couple of verses from the book of Jeremiah about Jeremiah speaking for himself. What does it say in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 10? Jeremiah 15, 10. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. He goes on to, to say this again later in the chapter in Jeremiah 20, verse 7. He says, oh Lord, you have deceived me. As I was deceived, you are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day, everyone mocks me. He says in verse 14 of chapter 20, he says, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Here you have, you have one guy who's in a situation. The God of the universe comes to him and says, Hey, listen, we're going to give you a son. We're going to give you a son. I know she's 90 and I know that you're 100, but listen, hang on. Hang on, I'm the God of the universe, I'm gonna give you a son, and what does he do? He looks at the circumstance, he looks at the situation, and he laughs, and that's evidence of his doubt. Then we have Jeremiah. Jeremiah is overwhelmed, he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching, and the people aren't turning. He gets overwhelmed, and so what does he do? I just wish I wasn't even here. Why was I even born? And then there's another one, there's a third one, his name is Thomas. He's often referred to as Doubting Thomas. I think he honestly gets a bad rap because I really think that what he was doing was really trying to make sure that his faith was real, that what he was placing his faith in was actually the true, in the true gospel. And so let's take a look at Thomas, starting in verse 25 of, of chapter 20. Here it says this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Here's Thomas's Here's Thomas's response, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
these three individuals that we see in the Bible, I believe what they do is they demonstrate to us that a lot of us are overwhelmed with circumstances. And as we're sitting in a circumstance, we have a tendency maybe to either trust God or doubt that he's really gonna take care of us. I believe that we titled that circumstantial doubt. I believe there's really three types of doubt that we, that we encounter. I believe there's circumstantial doubt. I believe there's spiritual doubt. And I believe there's intellectual doubt. If I'm really honest, I don't believe that a lot of you are here in intellectual doubt. I think a lot of us, what's taking place is if we are in a season of doubt, if we're hiding behind the mask of I have everything together, I know the questions, I've been to church my whole life, I know Jesus saves, he is sovereign, he's in control. But when we really, really strip it down, and if we're talking one-on-one, you probably are overwhelmed by that situation because you're seeing God not deliver when you want him to deliver. And that circumstance right now has caused you to question the goodness and grace of God. Maybe the situation that you're in or the circumstance you're in is that you prayed for someone to be healed of cancer and they weren't. Maybe it was the marriage that you prayed for. Maybe it was the the ending of a marriage. Maybe it was your parents' marriage or worship. Maybe it was yours. Maybe it is the unexplained infertility. And we just want to have a child and for some reason, we can't. And if that's where you are, I was there for, we, Dana and I, we were there for four years. And if that's where you are, I want to talk to you after the service. But how God can speak in situations like that and wrap you up so that you may not doubt him or question him, but that you may believe in him. Maybe it's a family member that took advantage of you when you were younger and memories, memories of that is just overwhelmed you that you don't see that you are worth God's love. Maybe it's a financial situation right now. Maybe it's you are one paycheck away for financial disaster and next week Brian's gonna say, get out behind the mask of having everything together. You are a financial faker. Either you have it and are not being, using it to bless God's kingdom and you're storing up for yourself or You're not using your finances to honor the king of kings. And as a result of that, man, you are just overwhelmed with severe debt. That's what we'll talk about next week. In my experiences, most of the doubts I feel like that consume us in this room are based upon circumstantial doubts, situations that we come into contact with that we did not see God move or we were unable to see God move. And as a result, we question, we're not sure, for me, it was, it was Ozzy. That was a situation that really, really gripped my heart. And, and let me tell you this. The situation with Ozzy made me grow stronger in my faith, but it took me a long time to get there through the circumstance. You see, Ozzy I met when he was in the fifth grade. And he, Ozzy, was absolutely on fire for just life. Okay? Ozzy Vargas, he was a... Puerto Rican guy, and he, man, he just had fire, and he was the president, he became president of the Apex High School student body. But I met Ozzy when he was in the fifth grade. I actually had a chance to sit down with him and lead him to Christ, lead him to faith in Christ. As a result of talking to Ozzy and, and being friends with Ozzy, he even worked for me for a ministry that I ran, and later on, we, 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 were, we were visitation partners. Ozzy, all the way up until the time he was a senior in high school, he would come with me to go on visitation. We'd go and we'd knock on doors and we'd tell people about Jesus. I remember this one time, we went and knocked on this door. This girl came and I said, let me ask you do, you, do you have any questions about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? She said, stop right there. 
She said, I can tell you right now, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I am, if I die, I am going to hell. And Ozzy looked at me with these big eyes. He had just gotten saved, looks and says, Pastor, you better do something about that. <laughs> and so Ozzy and I, we got to share the gospel with this girl. I remember her name. Her name was Crystal. We got to sit down. We got to share the gospel with her. She didn't get saved. Ozzy left. We were in the car together. He said, I don't understand why she didn't get saved. I don't know why she didn't give her life to the Lord. Ozzy became, like I said, in 2006, he was a senior in high school. Wanted to go to NC State, be an engineer. He was the leader in our youth group. And every year what we did was we got our youth group together and we went off to a retreat. We had a great retreat in the fall. We did this the second week of September. As a matter of fact, that church is still doing it even to this day. So we went off to the retreat and uh, Ozzy was on, on, uh, on a high ropes course, on a zip line. And a tragic and freak thing happened and he died in that accident. I want to tell you something. In front of people, I was wearing this mask that everything was good, but inside, I was overcome, overcome with God. How in the world could this happen? I think a lot of us right now are there in that situation where we have situations where we have cancer and sickness and infertility and miscarriage and babies and, and all of this. And we look at it and we say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And right now you might be there and you are fighting and you are fighting and you are fighting to believe in the one that saved you when you were seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. But this situation has overcome you. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, then the circumstance that we're in leads to spiritual doubt, to where we doubt whether or not we're even saved. Some of you right now are in that spiritual doubt where you, you keep wondering, am I saved, am I saved? I'm gonna say it again. I went to camp, uh, I did, preached to camp, and the girl came up to me at camp, and she looked at me, and she said, this is my eighth year at camp, and this is the eighth time I've accepted Jesus. And I looked at her, and I said, stop. Quit doing that. Why do you keep doing that? And there's this spiritual doubt that I, I gotta do it one more time. I gotta do it one more time. I gotta do it one more time. And, and then there's intellectual doubt. And as I said before, I don't really believe that many of you are in intellectual doubt. I don't believe that that's the camp that you're in. I think that if you doubt and if you struggle with doubt, then most of us, it's, it's precipitated by a circumstance that you're just trying to wrap your arms around or it's a spiritual doubt where you're just trying to get freedom to know who Jesus is and what salvation is and are you really a follower of him? But intellectual doubt, perhaps you are there. I think the greatest medicine, the greatest healing, the greatest process for intellectual doubt is to do two things. Number one, go get the book. It's called A Case for the Resurrection by Gary Habermas and Mike Lincolnia. I believe that if you struggle with intellectual doubt, then understanding the resurrection is great therapy, great medicine for you to unpack the gospel and who Christ is and what he came to do. Because the resurrection, the empty tomb, basically separates from Jesus, from everyone who has said, I am the way, Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, and all the rest, it separates him from all of them. And I would say, camp out in the resurrection. Second thing I would do, let's say, let's go to breakfast. If you're a guy, you're struggling with just man, intellectual doubt, you don't believe this, you don't believe that, let's go to breakfast. Let's sit down over a week or two, and even a month, even six months, and just unpack what it means to really wrestle with these questions of intellectual doubt. But as I said before, I think that some of us are really camped out in circumstantial doubt that that situation is overwhelmed us. I, I wanna basically, I wanna go back to the people we talked about. 
We, we talked about Abraham, and we talked about what happened to him, that God came to him and gave him a promise. I'm gonna send you a son. But if you notice that text, it's not I'm gonna send you a son. It said many nations will come from her. He, he was promising her a son and that all that, through, there, there would be more. And, and if we take a look at that situation, we see God came to them, they doubted because they laughed. But if we go back to another situation, same person, different situation, let's take a look at the growth that took place in Abraham's life that I hope is encouraging to you through a circumstance. You see, Abraham had a different circumstance. He had a different circumstance. This circumstance was basically where he had his son, Isaac, and God came to him and said, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him up to this mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, if you are new to church, I know that probably really weirds you out. And I would love the opportunity to really unpack what that means and all the history behind that. But at the same time, God told Abraham, go take your son, the son that you waited for, go up to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, how would you respond? Well, Abraham laughed first at the thought of having a child as a hundred-year-old man. Well, here's how he responded in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, you see, what had happened was he had gotten all the men together, and they were going, they had wood, they had all the stuff. Isaac was, was with him. They were standing at the base of the mountain, and then Abraham made a statement and said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He says this, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship. Here it is, and come again to you. Don't miss it. Here's a situation. Here's a circumstance. He could sit there and go, wow, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to disobey. Here's what he did. He said, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust that you provide. I'm going to believe in you that you're going to take care of me. And I'm going to go up to the top of that mountain. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what way you're going to do it. But I'm going to go up to that mountain. And I'm going to tell these guys right here, listen, I'm going up to the mountain with the boy. But we're going to come back and we will worship. Man, that's powerful. And when we look at a circumstance, when we look at circumstances that we're in, my question for you is, are you laughing that God will, will take care of you? Laughing at God? Or are you obeying God and are you trusting him? There's a huge difference. If we go on to the next one we talked about, we talked about Jeremiah. And you can see that Jeremiah was overwhelmed with the sin of the people of Israel. He was overcome with that. And he even said, God, why are you making me? Why are you, why are you doing this? Well, he wrote a book called Lamentations, which means to continue to limit. But in the middle of the book, in the middle of the book, he says something beautiful. And it's a, it's a reminder of what God did. So take a look at Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. This is what happens to him. Remember, same person, different response. Look at it. But this I call to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your, say it, faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the, for the salvation of the Lord. 
there's a great lesson that we learned from Jeremiah, but here's what we see. We see in the first situation, and he's like, why in the world did you even bring me into this world? You've asked me to do this, but you know what? I'm leading them, I'm teaching them, I'm talking to them, but you're not doing your part, God. And then all of a sudden, he has this wake-up call. The alarm clock of God's mercy and God's grace, grace goes off in his life, and he says, I remember, great is your faithfulness. And I don't know about the situation or the circumstance that you're in that may be causing you to question or doubt But I'm sitting here saying, I pray that the God of the Bible, that today he would give you great, great comfort in knowing that great is your faithfulness, that new mercies come every morning for you and for all of us who desperately seek him. Doubting Thomas, I I told you he had a pretty much a bad rap, but I believe it's good to have questions and to really investigate. And here comes Thomas, and at the end of the verse, he says, my Lord and my God. And as I did some research on Thomas and his life, this is what is said about Thomas. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Thomas went to Babylon. It is believed that he established the first Christian church there. Thomas is also known to have gone to Persia, and from there he went to India and preached the gospel, making many converts. It is believed that Thomas arrived in India no later than 49 A.D., It is also believed that the Apostle Thomas evangelized as far as China, and while in India, he suffered martyrdom. He was killed with a lance and buried in Mylapore, India, which is now a suburb of Madras. The Apostle Thomas is said to have been a fearless evangelist and a great builder of churches. And so here you have someone who's doubting, who's questioning, and he says, Lord, my Lord, and my God, and then he gets after it, guys. He gets after it. He has a reputation. He has a legacy of not sitting in the circumstance wondering, God, are you real? He has has a legacy of saying, I'm going to go about and I'm going to be about the mission of God. The situation with Ozzy. I cannot tell you how much joy it brings to me when I go around town and I see people that got saved through the situation in Ozzy's death. As tragic as that was, I mean, Ismail, Isaac, Terry, Dana, Shelby, I could list you names and names and names of people who in a very tragic situation came to know the greatness and goodness of God because of a situation that was used to enlarge their faith, not distract them from their faith. And I think sometimes when we sit in these circumstances, we must look at them as an opportunity to grow and not an opportunity to be defeated. When we're sitting in those circumstances, I think that there's really three questions we need to ask when we're in the middle of it. You see, sometimes, we, like I said, we have those situations, we start doubting, and I think that as we sit there in our doubt or in our questions or in our uncertainty, when we're wavering, I think that there's three questions that we really, really need to ask. The very first question I think that we need to ask is, am I walking or is there, is there secret indwelling sin in my life? that is causing me not to see this circumstance for an honor to glorify God and grow in my faith. So as you take a look at this situation, I would ask, are you wandering or wallowing in unconfessed sin? I love the verse that Brian read last year and how he unpacked this, excuse me, last week. I love how he unpacked it last week. The, the message version of the verse he read last week is this. He who covers his sin, God will uncover. Read to again. He who covers his sin, God will uncover. So let me just, you're in sin. You're overwhelmed with sin. What does God do? He takes your mask off and that's painful. The second part of the verse says this. 
He who uncovers his sin, he who takes his mask off, what does God do? He covers. Said one more time, he who covers his sin, God will uncover. He who uncovers his sin, God covers. And he does so by the blood of his one and only son, King Jesus. That's how he does it. So I think a question that when you're standing in circumstantial doubt and you're not understanding what's going on, I think the key question is this. I think the key question is this. Am I walking in secret and indwelling sin? Am I habitually and continually sinning? I think another question would be asking is this. Could my doubt be because I have a hard time believing and staying dialed into the gospel? Here's what I mean by the gospel so that we can be very clear. You don't save you. God saves you. Not only that, you don't partner with God in your salvation. If it's up to you, then I get why we do some things that we do. But if it is up to us, we're in big trouble. And that's why I'm so excited about being able to teach the book of Galatians as a church starting um, October 20th so that we can realize that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's the essence of the book of Galatians. And here we take a look in when we understand the gospel, the question that we have to continually ask when we're in the doubt is, am I dialed into the truth of the gospel? Do I really understand it? Or am I participating in it so that I can get something out of it? Here's what Matt Chandler said about participating in the gospel. It's simply me performing for people who are watching. So if we think I've got to partner with God in my salvation, then of course we're going to doubt. I think this is the biggest hijacking of truth that has befallen Christianity, that you somehow partner with God in your salvation. It's just simply not true. And so I would ask you the question, do you and are you dialed in and do you have a correct understanding of the pure and beautiful gospel that we stand upon on this church? Remember, we're not talking about the social gospel or the prosperity gospel because anytime you put an adjective in front of the gospel, it ceases being the gospel. We're talking about, are you overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel? The third reason I think that we doubt is this, and it's actually quite terrifying when you think about it. But I think the question you have to ask is, am I really saved? Have I really been regenerated and really been redeemed? I think sometimes when we stand in that circumstance and we're going like, oh my gosh, why do I have these thoughts? Why do I have these questions? Here's what I think. And you're, you're thinking, am I saved? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? I honestly believe that the reason you have those questions is quite possibly you are not redeemed and that is the alarm clock of God's mercy in your life because you don't deserve it, but he gives it to you. And so what happens is you're wondering, am I saved? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And I'm not trying to question your salvation. But what I'm trying to ask you is when you're in a situation that causes you to question and doubt, ask yourself, have I truly been redeemed by King Jesus? Because Matthew 7.21 says this. Matthew 7.21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And could it be that the nagging doubt in you is God's mercy to you? Perhaps that doubt is God's alarm clock, like I said, God's alarm clock of mercy, asking you to wake up and repent and believe. 
Am I standing in unconfessed sin? Am I dialed into the gospel? And am I truly, truly saved? Because there are situations that we find ourselves in that we gotta ask those questions. Why am I doubting? Why am I doubting? I wanna read you a testimony by one of our students here. Putting my trust in Christ has been such a great thing in my life. Words can't describe how grateful I am to have made this decision while I'm still young. Before I accepted Christ, I was lost in a sense. Don't get me wrong, I was a very happy teenage girl with great friends and an amazing family. But something was missing. I just didn't know what. As I got older, I began to realize that what I was missing wasn't anything physical or tangible. It was my relationship with God. I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with him. Notice the doubt here and how it's overcome. My fears and hesitations started to flood over me. Did I really need a relationship with Christ? Was it worth it? Would it really make a difference? It wasn't until about six months into my journey that I made the decision to set aside my doubts and trust God. It took me a while to fully involve myself in a relationship with him, which I am grateful for in a way. All my doubts and hesitations just made me a stronger believer and ensured the validity of my faith. I wanted to learn more and more. I'll remember the day I accepted Christ for the rest of my life. I remember going to youth group and telling my youth pastor and all my friends. It was such an eye-opener. I realized that my walk with Christ wasn't going to be something I had to face alone. I had so many people encouraging me and helping me in every step of the way. God is such a big part of my life now. I live for him and strive to be the best I can be in his eyes. Since being saved, I have realized having complete trust in God can be a tough road. There are so many things trying to get you down, but it is worth it. I feel like a new person. It has been almost a month since I put my trust in God. I know I have a long way to go in my walk with him. I will always be learning, but regardless, I am proud to say that I'm a Christian and my trust lies with Christ. So you're in a situation. You're in a circumstance right now, many of you, that are just unbelievably rocking your world and you don't know what to do about it. And I would encourage you to look at Abraham, how he responded the second time, not the first time. Abraham said, we will be back and we will worship. So in that situation and in that circumstance, I'm asking God to fill you with his spirit that you would worship and worship him. And not only that, I pray that you would remember and be awakened to God's faithfulness and his mercy so that you would declare like Jeremiah that says, great is your faithfulness. And I'm also asking you to declare like Thomas who said, my Lord and my God. And then like our senior who just said, I'm proud to say I'm a Christian and my trust lies with Christ. I'd love for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I would ask just by a show of hands, if there is a situation in your life right now, a circumstance, a situation that's causing you to question or has you in a season of doubt or just not understanding that, man, if you'd love for us as a staff and us to pray for you about it, I'd love you to just, just, just lift up your hand, not calling you out, but if you just wanna lift up your hand and let us pray for you at the end of the service, all right? And I can't help to say that maybe today, as we talked about doubting and as we compare, as we, we brought in the issue of salvation, could there be someone in here right now that the reason that they doubt is really truly because they don't believe and they've never believed. And all of a sudden being here today, they've said, wow, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And today, man, I, I, I wanna make that possible. Here's what I wanna do. I don't want to pray a prayer with you right here and right now. But what I do want to do is to give you an invitation that when everything is all over and people leaving, I'm just going to be standing up here and love to talk to you about what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus. 
And if you're in here right now and you're questioning, God, where am I in terms of my relationship with Christ? I'm not sure I am a believer. If you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand. Okay. All right. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, so much for the goodness and the grace that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for the honor. I thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. I thank you for the beauty of King Jesus. I love you. I thank you. I thank you, God, that we're in circumstances and situations of doubt that you come to us and reveal to us yourself. Help us, Lord, to be open, have an, our heart that's open and a mind that's open to knowing exactly, exactly who you are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.